0: I'm Jason Thomas. Welcome to the Hardway MBA, where we empower ambitious corporate professionals. That's you, right? With real-world business knowledge. We interview business leaders who are gracious enough to share their strategic insights and tactical activities to improve your business and career. If you enjoy these interviews, please spread the word because nothing says thank you as well as a referral to your friends and colleagues. Now let's dive in. Welcome, welcome, folks. Jason Thomas with the Hardway MBA. My guest today is David Singer. Uh, David and I have known one another for about a year or so. Again, we've met here locally. David's a a great St. Louis business owner. I want to introduce to you guys, um, certainly as a model of what we're all about here on the Hardway MBA. Uh, Hustles, learn something new all the time. I've learned a lot from David. David, thanks for joining us. Can you... Please introduce yourself better than I probably would and tell us a little bit about what you do.
1: Uh, My name is David Singer. I am the president and one of the owners of Warehouse of Fixtures. Warehouse of Fixtures is a new used and refurbished office furniture company. We're located at 2720 Market Street, which is just one block west of Jefferson. We maintain about 170,000 square feet of warehouse and showroom space.
0: Cool. And if, uh, if you're in St. Louis and you can get down there, it's, it's great to see, uh, it's great to see David's warehouse space. It's a, it's a lot of space. Um, and that's actually one of the, uh, as you and I have talked, that's one of the questions that always comes back to me is you do so much work with large organizations in the, in the B2B world, uh, like I do. And as I, as I go visit your warehouse space, there's, there's a fair amount of retail feel to that space. How do you look at those how do you look at those two uh, uh, those two segments or those two things? do you feel like those compete or are those complementary ideas for you?
1: Well, I would say they're complementary, but they also compete. It's kind of a tough question because our retail business is great business. You get to meet a lot of neat people and we give the individual a level of attention that they wouldn't get at another either office furniture store or a big box store. So if you're looking for a chair or a desk that really fits the way that you work, we're a great place to go. And that plays into our contract business. So we have customers like Washington university and St. Louis university and uh, metropolitan sewer district. So they can send down individuals from different departments who can try the furniture out before they buy it, uh, which is useful for a facilities guy because a lot of times uh, in those big companies, people are making decisions based on pictures or based on a description of what they're getting. And it's especially with a chair, it's really nice to kick the tires and try it out before you buy it because you're going to be sitting in that chair for the next Five to ten years and that's really going to be a big part of your comfort at work yeah but, not, go ahead
0: well you were starting to share a little bit more about that I do you find that the do you find that that do you as I as a maybe somebody who's coming in off the street I uh, didn't have an appointment isn't part of your contract business. Uh, do you find that, that leads to contract business? Is it a, a form of marketing in some ways for for the cross pollination there?
1: That's a very good point. A lot of the people that walk in just so happen to be uh, work work at large corporations or own companies or be related to people that work at large corporations. You know, we'll have someone walk in that's buying for their house and they'll say, "Oh, by the way." my brother-in-law is the purchasing agent at bank of america i'll make sure and tell him what a great experience we had at your store so that really does help and you'd also be surprised some people that uh are heads of major corporations will just walk in off the street and say i've driven by your store 20 times and i decided i'd come in and take a look And that might net us an opportunity or net us an account that could be worth a hundred thousand dollars a year. Yeah. So
0: one of the things that I really hadn't thought about discussing with you here, but I I think it's an interesting topic, the the chair you sit in at work, um, you're going to sit in that thing. I sit in that, in the chair I have at work for four or five hours a day, uh, four or five days a week. Um, You know, I'm in sales, so if I'm not out sitting in a chair at a client's, I'm not doing my job. So there are a lot of people that probably double my my butt in seat time. But that chair is still really important. Um, Tell us a little bit about the the conversations you have or the the research that you're aware of. Do office furniture really impact productivity?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. That's the study of ergonomics is how the human body interacts with the workplace. And there is just a ton of research uh, on ergonomics. So, you know, you can't say that it's just a chair. There are so many things in the office that affect how you work. So the way that your desk is laid out, uh, where your monitor is in relation to your uh, to your eyes where your monitor is in relation to the sunlight that's coming in the room. And uh, that's just um, in your own workspace. If you think about workflow, there's a lot of conversations that happen within companies about how to lay out their people. So if two people work together and are in different departments, should they be together or should you segment the departments? Today's workplace is becoming more and more collaborative so you're seeing more multi-department areas where people that work together but aren't necessarily in the same department are sitting together. You're also seeing lower panel heights so that people can collaborate more easily. We just did a job with Panera and they were in 65 inch high uh, cubicles and we took their cubicles and uh, made them 42 inch high cubicles which was actually a really great thing for them because in addition to allowing them to collaborate, it also allowed the sunlight from the exterior of the office to get through to all of the stations, which they've also done some studies and it's been pretty well proven that natural light and a view of the outside helps productivity versus working in a basement or an area where you do not get any sunlight.
0: Yeah, it's, it's one of those areas that uh, I don't think we consider, uh, most of us, I'm sure you consider it all the time, most of us probably don't consider often enough.
1: That's, that's very true and a lot of people try to do it themselves when they're laying out their office and a lot of people really get it wrong. You know, They might be saving 20, 30, 40% buying their office furniture from someone going out of business on Craigslist but if you consider the loss of productivity over time from making something work versus buying something that is designed around the way that you work it's really not worth the savings
0: yeah absolutely so David I don't know I don't remember if we've talked about this in our in our some of the groups we belong to or over breakfast sometime but as I was looking back through your LinkedIn profile kind of getting ready for this and one of the things that's always impressed me is You're a really young guy uh, as president of Warehouse of Fixtures. Um, It looks like you kind of stepped into that role right out of college. Um, How do you step into a role of being – well, A, I've got several questions along this line, but how do you step into a role of leading an organization like that right out of school?
1: Well, I was just having a conversation with the head of one of the largest office furniture companies in St. Louis, the largest office furniture company in St. Louis yesterday. And we were talking about just this thing. You know, I got into the business right out of college. I started the business uh, right out of college. And it was kind of a continuation of what my grandfather had done before, although it's a new business. Um, But what what I think is that I really could have benefited from some mentorship of someone that was in the same business. I really did learn everything in the school of hard knocks and frankly made a ton of mistakes and still am making a ton of mistakes and that's okay because you need to try things to see what works for you. Uh, The way that I've done it, the way that I've been able to be successful is by continually trying to better myself and not beating myself up over some of the mistakes that I make. I budget that I'm going to make mistakes. I know what's going to happen, and when it happens, I try to learn from it and move on. But I also read one business, at least one business book a month and try to look at things that I'm not doing very well and talk to people that I know are doing them very well. So it's a continuous process of learning. Did that answer your question?
0: Uh, it starts to. So it answers kind of how do you – it, it, it answers a little bit of it. So as you start out of school, tell us about your grandfather's business. What was going on there that you that you continued?
1: So my grandfather started his business in the 1940s. His business was started remanufacturing mannequins, which is why we have an office furniture company called Warehouse of Fixtures, because he was in remanufactured mannequins and store fixtures that he would buy from closing uh stores. And as he was doing this, he got into office furniture and he also got into uh, warehouse racking and shelving and different material handling things. So over the years, he got to, by the 80s, he had gotten pretty successful and they were about a $10 million a year business with 100 employees and uh, were really the place to go in St. Louis for store fixtures and office furniture and warehouse equipment. So they did really well for that uh, with that for a time. He had a building that was about seven and a half acres right across from St. Louis University. Um, after he retired, you know, there was a whole old guard of these old guys that really, really knew the business very well. And the people that took it over just didn't get it on the same level as my grandfather and that old group of Jewish guys who really, really knew the business and loved each other. And we going to uh, they were going to get it right regardless. Mm-hmm. And so you got people that really didn't uh, didn't think in the same way. And they said, well, maybe we're not making as m-. they thought they were smarter than the people before them. They said, maybe we're not making as much money as we really think on used furniture, so maybe we should focus on new furniture. And there are all these other companies that are doing these huge jobs with new furniture. Maybe we should go after those huge jobs. And they were really trying to be something that they weren't. Mm -hmm. Warehouse of Fixtures was really good at being Warehouse of Fixtures, but when they tried to do other things, they weren't necessarily as good as some of the people that really focused on other things. So when the tech bubble burst in 99, they were totally unprepared and overstaffed and not the right people and uh, they went out of business. So when I graduated college in 2004, the business had been out of business for three years and I was getting ready to uh, go take a job in Boston and get ready for law school. So I came back and had some free time and I asked my father, who was the head of the uh, my grandfather's estate, because my grandfather had passed away, if it would be okay if I went in a couple of days a week and sold off the remnants from that seven and a half acre building. So I would go in two days a week, open the front garage door and people would walk in. They never knew that the business closed. I didn't really know anything about office furniture, and I knew absolutely nothing about business. Uh, I couldn't tell you what a financial statement was, what a you know how to read a P&L, uh-huh. what a balance sheet was, so I didn't know any of that. I didn't know the difference between a lateral file and a vertical file, but people were walking in the door, and I'd bring furniture down from all the different floors and all the different areas, and they'd ask me... What something cost? And I said, well, what, what are you willing to pay for it? And we'd negotiate and make a deal. So I was really enjoying it. And we got to the end of that summer where I was supposed to go up to Boston and take that job. And I thought to myself, if I don't give this a try right now, this opportunity is never going to be there again. So I need to take this opportunity. And if if I don't make it, I can always go back to law school. There's not going to be an issue with that but if I don't take this opportunity right now it's gone so I started buying furniture and uh, eventually when the building sold I moved to a different location and uh, I've been really having a great time doing it ever since
0: that's a phenomenal story I that ought to be how you lead every conversation you uh, <laughs> you engage in um, no, it's that's just kind of a a beautiful story that mixes your family and your business and, and really shows your passion for business. And um, it starts to get to the, the one of the questions that I had about how you, how you knew to make this commitment so young. I mean, that's one of the things that I see a lot of people coming out of school these days. uh, They either want to go kind of the corporate route because it feels safe. And it's like maybe what their parents did or, there's a, another school of thought that you get into the the startup vibe and you you play that scene and neither of those. Well, the startup scene today isn't focused on long term. It's more of a build and flip kind of model. Yeah. You, you know, your your business here is not a build and flip kind of model. You you've done it. To, from my perspective, uh, you learned a lesson from. Uh, what happened when your grandfather sold that business? Uh, and you're doing it the right way. You're doing it with a long-term perspective. When you were when you were just coming out of school, did you get the sense that I'm gonna you know I'm gonna do this for a time? Did you get the sense that it would be the commitment that you've made since then?
1: No, I really I really didn't. I was just doing it for fun. And I think when I really Realized that this was something that I needed to do was when I was getting ready to go back to Boston um, What had happened was customers would say to me well Where do we go next time if you're if you're not going to be here? Where do we go next time? so I took some time and I Went ahead and shopped some of the competition and although there were some good people in the new used and refurbished market Nobody was doing it as well as I thought it could be done. And I really wasn't comfortable sending these people to some place that I didn't think was frankly as good as I was doing it without having any knowledge. So what I did was I uh, interviewed some people that were active in the old business, got as much knowledge from them as I could, spoke with some people that I knew were successful business people and got their perspective. And then I went for it. but I think you're really right that businesses like mine are not sexy businesses, right? There's nothing new and exciting about office furniture as much as we'll try to spin it and tell you that, you know, the treadmill desk that I'm doing is selling now is life changing and it's the newest thing in office furniture. It's really not that sexy versus a Facebook or another tech startup or a biotech startup. So these types of businesses, you see a lot of people in their 40s, 50s, and 60s, and I kind of wonder what's going to happen in the next 10 or 20 years as those people start retiring.
0: Yeah, you know, I was reading a book last night called uh, The Little Big Things by Tom Peters. And, Great book. Uh, yeah, it is. Um, I'm towards the beginning, but he was talking about uh, it's it's these kind of businesses that are important. It's these kind of businesses in pursuit of excellence, you know, his his big thing, excellence with a capital E, every time, that actually carry everything else. Um, So you're right. What happens when those uh, 40, 50-year-olds start to retire? And I hope that there's a a reemergence of folks who find business to be interesting. And that's one of the things that I think is making you successful as an outsider looking in. Is, you know, you'd be successful if you're selling office furniture or uh, running a tech startup because it's the business that is exciting to you. It's satisfied customers. It's uh, learning something new. It's uh, meeting new people and learning new perspectives. And it, you know, it, it's tracking metrics that are important and experimenting with different levers to see how how you can make those metrics move.
1: What a great compliment. Thank you, Jason.
0: Well, that's just what I see from the outside. It's one of the reasons I invited you to, uh, uh, to do this uh, interview. I, you were one of the first people I thought of. I had to track you down a little bit, though. Um, <laughs> so, this podcast is built for folks that are kind of the hustlers of the world and, and you know, hustlers in the right sense and the, doing things the right way. A lot of them are, I I imagine are up and comers and haven't, haven't made a name for themselves yet. I don't think, I don't think that's going to last long. I think folks that will invest time and effort in, uh, in learning and trying and experimenting will get there. As you, if you had a platform as you do right now to talk to some of those professionals, what piece of advice would you give them that they might be able to put to work in, in their business tomorrow or today?
1: You know, I think that what you said was probably the best thing that any business owner can do is continuously learning. So if you're not getting better, you're probably getting worse.
0: Mm.
1: And if you're not improving, then your competition is. So read books, ask for advice, ask for help when you need it because one thing I really found was that experienced entrepreneurs – love talking to new entrepreneurs because they remember that time. They remember how exciting it was to not know if you were going to make payroll at the end of the week or to have your first big sale. Um, And they want you to be successful, so find a mentor. Find a mentor, someone that's going to help hold you accountable and someone that you can talk to about things that you might not be able to talk to your employees about, because you sure don't want to tell them that you may not make payroll at the end of the week. Uh, And ask for help. Uh, One other thing that I'd really highly recommend is looking into an organization called EO entrepreneurs organization. It's for business owners only. And that's for business owners that do $1 million or more in revenue. And that may exclude a lot of up-and-comers, but they also have a program called Accelerator for smaller businesses that helps teach the basics. So I know that if I had joined that when I started my business, my business would probably be three to five years ahead of where it is right now.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And I'm very thankful to have that organization in my life. So I would encourage people that are trying to get ahead now to join that as soon as they can.
0: So you mentioned a couple of times that uh, you're a pretty voracious reader. um, And I know this to be true just based on the number of books we've, we've talked about over
1: the years. What are
0: you reading right now?
1: Well, I just finished a book called The Miracle Morning. Have you read that one? I have not. The book is about how to start your day, but really it's about how to live your life. It's probably more on the self-help side than it is on the business side. Mm-hmm. And it expl- one thing that i found is there's a lot of noise in life, especially now. There's always something on, always something drawing your attention one way or another, and this helps you start your day on the right foot. I used to get up every morning and uh, looked at my phone and read my email and then read the newspaper and, you know, if there was an email in there that was something that was negative, that's how my day would start. And if the newspaper had a story about something that was tragic, that's how my day would start. So uh, this book is about how to start your day on the right foot and keep on the right foot. I really liked it and uh, finished that yesterday. And today I am rereading the Ultimate Sales Machine, which is an excellent book for anyone that has a sales an organization that has sales in it.
0: Uh Chet knows more about sales or uh, he forgot more about sales than I'll ever know, probably.
1: I think uh Brandon Dempsey told me that Chet Holmes passed away, so at this point you might be a better salesperson <laughs> than him.
0: <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. He's although that book's still selling.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you can't take it with you, Jason.
0: <laughs> oh yes. i. Uh, I have read The Ultimate Sales Machine. That's a wonderful book. Um, Now, if you had to pick out, I'm going to ask you for one more reading selection, so we'll get people set up for three months worth of reading um, if they read slow. Uh, What's your your favorite business book of all time?
1: Wow, what a great question. If I had to pick one business book, It would be Traction by Gino Wickman. Uh, Gino teaches EOS, which is Entrepreneurial Operating System. And what Gino did in Traction was take thoughts from good to great uh, and probably five other business books and compile them into one. Mm -hmm. So typically the way that it works is you read five business books and if you can implement one thing from each, you're doing pretty well. Uh, This book takes – About 15 different things from different books and puts them in together in a way that you can use, uh, you can use them. So I thought that was very valuable. But the other thing I would say is that if you are not, if you don't have a strong finance background, I would highly suggest reading books about how to understand the finances of your company better. So small business finance, something in, in that vein, I've read two or three books that really helped me get a handle on how that works because there's nothing more embarrassing than meeting with your bank and not knowing your numbers very well.
0: Sure. Yeah. The, uh, I, it's something that I think a lot of us get thrown into business and I, a lot of salespeople, especially um, we get thrown out and we start working with clients and we're, we're good with people. And so that's our business acumen is the people part of it. Uh, when it's time to start talking numbers, uh, the more you understand, this is my experience, the more you understand about your client's business, you know, what or what drives their financials, uh, not that you're necessarily going to know the ins and outs of their numbers. But if you've got an idea of, of what levers they're trying to push to move those numbers around, You are a much better advocate for them. You're a much better partner to them. You bring a lot more value to the table.
1: That is a very astute observation. You see so many salespeople that come in and make you a pitch based on something that they really don't understand. And a lot of times I'm kind of embarrassed for them. Someone will come in and tell me that I should buy their product because I get a tax write-off. Well, that money could go in my pocket and part of it could go to the IRS or 100% could go to this vendor. Unless I really need the item, I sure don't need the tax write-off.
0: Right. Yeah. I, it's one of the reasons that uh, small business owners uh, make the best salespeople people for their their small businesses. Because you're in those numbers, you're understanding them at a completely different level. And I think it's something that uh, we, me as a, a salesperson and my peers in the, the world of sales um, – we personally have to focus on. Our employers don't uh, don't think about this enough. It's our job. We got to get better every day. So that's my challenge for uh, that's my challenge for the audience here. Get better every day and uh, shoot David a note. Let us know what what have you pulled out of this conversation that you're gonna use tomorrow to make you a better uh, business person? David, if people want to send you a note like that or inquire about office furniture or just say thank you for, for your time and your effort and your troubles here, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you?
1: They can email me at D-S-I-N-G-E-R at S-T-L-W-A-R-E-H-O-U-S-E dot com. That's at D-Singer at stl Or you can go ahead and give me a call on my cell phone, 314 314- nine, two, two, four, two, five, five. If you're a business owner and you want to get better, I'm happy to help. Awesome. Uh,
0: I will, I will include your email address in the show notes and, uh, people will have to listen to get your cell phone number. Um, trust me folks, uh, David Singer will help you as a business person. Uh, you're not going to leave a conversation with him without getting smarter. Um, as I've done here again today, David, thank you so much uh, for your time over the years and especially today uh, with the hard way MBA.
1: Thanks, Jason.